I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberland. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome. And how, how have you been? How's your last month been? It's been really fine. Thank you very much, Mike. So good to be with you, Mary. Uh, awesome. Grateful always for this time to uh, give my own witness along with you. So thanks. Amen. Very good. Well, this has been an exciting month. Earlier this month, it was announced that Pope Francis has appointed Steubenville's Bishop Montfortin as an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Detroit. He'll formally be welcomed into the AOD next month with evening vespers on November 6th and a liturgy of welcome and inauguration of ministry on November 7th. Like you, Bishop Monforten is a native son of the Archdiocese, having been ordained here in 1994. What can you tell us about the bishop, and what gifts do you think he brings the Archdiocese of Detroit? Um, I first got to know uh, Bishop Monforten when he was a seminarian. He uh, matriculated into Sacred Heart uh, Seminary as a, a sophomore because he had spent some time at Wayne State University. And... Uh, what I know about him is that he is an enthusiastic servant of Christ and Christ's gospel. Uh, I think that's one of his most outstanding characteristics, is, is the energy he brings uh, to the tasks that uh, God's providence puts in front of him. He comes from a very fine Catholic family, very devout. Uh, his father's gone to God. Uh, I've uh, continued to... Uh, Count his mother as one of my friends. She's mm. uh, very often attending diocesan events mm. and uh, has remained connected to the seminary ever since her son was a, a teacher and rector there. Mm. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it'll be fun to have him here. That'll be fantastic. And to get to it'll know be him a blessing as a bishop. For sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. That's wonderful. Archbishop, I know obviously it's October that we're, we're in now as well. It's also Respect Life Month, which, um, which is obviously beautiful each year. I was just wondering, what are some of the things that the Archdiocese is doing specifically to mark this month as uh, the sanctity of life? Uh, and is there anything specific you'd, you'd hope that the faithful of this diocese do with this month going forward? Well, a couple of things in particular. Uh, first of all, on the first Sunday of October, uh, I'm offered Mass at the Cathedral, and really made that a, an official kickoff uh, for Respect Life Month for the Archdiocese and uh, took it as an occasion to invite all of us to be recommitted to our ministry of being missionaries of the gospel of life. Uh, this was a title from uh, Pope John Paul's encyclical, and I, I think the uh, gospel of life, and I think it uh, very much uh, gets to the heart of, of what we are about, that uh, the church, while she acts in the forum of uh, the political, is not principally a partisan agent. She's not a partisan agent. Hmm. Uh, the church witnesses to God's plan for the human person, the gospel of life. And this uh, is becoming an ever more significant vocation on our part is to witness to God's plan his, uh, uh, about the gift of life and the respect for human life and, and the human person. 
So that, I think, was very important. We also, in the first part of the month, had, the, had a visit from three sisters from uh, New York City, uh, uh, the community, the Sisters of Life. Oh. And they offered uh, a seminar here in the Archdiocese. Uh, they came to the cathedral for uh, the Respect Life Mass. And then they, uh, they gave their uh, presentation to the all priests meeting uh, last week uh, to give us priests some good counsel about how to minister to uh, post-abortion uh, women especially, but to the fathers and to all the members of the family who had engaged in abortion. Mm. One of the things that uh, I thought was really beautiful, uh, for me, a moment of great grace, one of the sisters talked about uh, bringing her, uh, the concerns that came to her in her service uh, into the presence of the Lord. And she received an inspiration from the Lord who said to her, uh, the burden's not on you, it's my burden. Uh, you can't bear it, I'll bear it. And I thought that's the real truth we all need. All of us who are engaged in our service of the gospel need mm. to, to remember that. Mm. That's a key reminder. That's really good. Well, we get to dive into our topic for this month, and I'm excited to spend a little bit of time, Archbishop, talking about you. So earlier this year in our January episode on Mission Priorities, we explained to our listeners that you would be required by canon law to submit your resignation to Pope Francis upon your 75th birthday on October 21st. Now that we are officially in your birthday month and your birthday is coming up, we wanted to take some time to reflect with you in gratitude for your faithful ministry, including 14 years as the Chief Shepherd of the Archdiocese of Detroit, which is your home diocese. And I always think that's such a cool thing that the Lord brought you back here to serve um, as Archbishop. As you approach this milestone, have you allowed yourself time to be reflective on your ministry? And what have you been bringing to prayer as you get near this milestone? Well, I think, uh, Mary, I could answer that in two parts. Mm -hmm. One is, I think, about the, the bigger horizon of my ministry. And uh, I came back to the Archdiocese from a lot of, uh, re for a lot of reasons with uh, lots of different kinds of evidence that uh, my job in being the principal pastor of the Archdiocese of Detroit today, very different from, uh, in, in detail anyway, from that of, let's say, Cardinal Mooney, who came at a time when the community here was very different, but also where in, a time when the context in which the church fulfills her mission was, was quite different. Uh, I often go back to a saying of Father John Ricardo uh, that we've lost the wallpaper. Uh, we've, we no longer can take for granted that we live in a, a, a society that is fundamentally shaped by uh, convictions that are born of the gospel, uh, a postmodern world. Uh, the world in which we're called to engage in the new evangelization. So I came back with that conviction and uh, prayed God's guidance about how to respond. And uh, that was the genesis of the synod. So I think the synod in which, in the, and I, by the synod, I don't just mean the three days of celebration. Right. I mean the whole process, both before and after. 
we have been uh, wholeheartedly committed to our mission of making disciples of all nations, mm. teaching them to observe what the Lord has commanded. And I, that's the, the global way I look at my ministry, and I've tried to make it the touchstone for all that I've uh, been responsible for doing, e even the, the administrative day-by-day -day duties regarding, mm. say, something as uh, mundane as being a, a steward of the goods of the church, but to make those decisions on the basis of mission, not maintenance. Mm. And I think uh, we are advancing in integrating that insight into our culture. So that's the bigger picture for my ministry as I reflect on it. Uh, you asked about the short term. Um, I'm, it, it's, it's, it's awkward uh, <laughs> not to have a timetable. Yeah. And uh, I, I am trying to find the grace in that, uh -huh. to, to be at the disposition of our Lord uh -huh. for whatever timetable he and uh, working through the Holy Father uh, determine is right for my service here. Right. And uh, so it's, for that, Our Lady is my model with mm. her own, uh, let it be done to me according to your word. Yep. Mm. That's a good prayerful mentality that right there, especially to take a Well, I can't say time. I'm always uh, <laughs> on top of that, Michael. That would be a, that would be a real challenge yeah. to not have a timetable. That takes yeah. a particular yeah. type of submission of trust because, I don't know, I'm a planner. I like to have things yeah. at least loosely planned out. So, yeah, that's I love that prayer, though. That's a good, important lesson for all of us when we end up in times of uncertainty. You know, if you're being faithful, then, you know, Our Lady figured out for us. <laughs> I know, Archbishop, thinking back, I know it's kind of a typical thing to kind of look at highlights, if you would, when you, you kind of look back over um, an event or some sort of period of time. Uh, what would you say has kind of been some of the most, most enjoyable parts of being the Archbishop here in Detroit? And, and what were some of your favorite moments or favorite events or just some of the highlights for you? I know you spoke of the Synod. I'm, I'm sure that's kind of one of them. But uh, was there anything else you wanted to mention? Well, um, thank you for mentioning the Synod, Mike. Certainly, though, those three days of celebration at St. Aloysius and at uh, the nearby Book Cadillac, those, those were very much highlights. Yeah. But something I get to do every year that gives me great joy is I spend uh, a Monday midday to a, a Wednesday midday in August with the Detroit seminarians, and I have a seminar with them where we read texts that I think are important and that we all get to think about them, offer our commentary, uh, kind of probe the text, uh, explain to one another what we think the, uh, the author is getting at and try to apply it especially to uh, our ministry, to my ministry that I've already gotten into the ministry they aspire to as future priests. So mm. that's always a high point in, in my, my year. Uh, also, the uh, uh, biennial uh, clergy uh, convocations, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. followed by the diaconate convocations. Those are great joys for me as well, to mm. be with uh, my brother priest, to be with my coworker deacons. Uh, that, that gives me great joy. And of course, uh, my celebrations of the sacred liturgy in, in the cathedral, uh, especially during Holy Week uh, and Christmas too, of course. Those are things that uh, I get great joy from. Mm 
and uh, they were particularly made more poignant uh, during the Holy Week uh, of the COVID shutdown, mm. when uh, wasn't able to have a congregation in the cathedral. Now, <clears throat> this, I suppose, is the right time to say that one of my great monthly joys is uh, the Eyes on Jesus podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We made the list, Mary. We made the I list. I know. Look at us. No, I enjoy this very much. Uh, yeah. I have a, a wise advisor who told me early on that uh, uh, making myself available to, for catechesis it would be a very good way to expend time in my ministry. And I thought about uh, live sessions, but uh, people in communication said the, uh, the podcast would be an ideal way to reach lots of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find this uh, format in lots of ways very, very uh, helpful. So mm -hmm. I, I, this is, uh, I'm not blowing smoke. I do enjoy this. I think that's so wonderful. And I think it's, it's such a good thing that you've been able to embrace that particular form of technology to speak to the people in our diocese. Um, it is a way that anybody can have access to being taught by you once a month in some ways. So thanks for your openness to that, because I do think it takes a particular type of openness, but the faithful in our diocese have been blessed by it. So it's fantastic. Mm. Okay, I have another question. It's it's coming on the heels. Mike and I just went to our college, uh, like a college reunion uh, this weekend. So it's been about 20 years since we hung out with some of the people that we were hanging out with. And it was interesting talking about our walks in discipleship, you know, with a few more wrinkles and kind of looking at ourselves as 18-year-olds. And now we're in our mid-40s. And it's neat to grow up with people in ministry. And so uh, I came home feeling like quite refreshed from spending time with them. In leading up to this podcast, I was thinking about you and your episcopacy. You have emphasized the bond of brotherhood you've had with your fellow priests and the relationship that you've had with your priests, many of whom you've grown up with. So uh, becoming, uh, being a younger priest with them in the seminary and then being, I'm sorry, a seminarian student in the seminary, then being ordained a priest and through your, um, through your episcopy, you've had this reality of growing up with some of these guys. Uh, why does that bond mean so much to you? Because I've always wanted to be a priest, Mary. Well, I mean, when I was seven, I wanted to be a farmer, but that evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a farmer and I wanted to be a priest, but the yeah. the, the priestly vocation perdured. And yeah. so this is what I, I know what God made me to do, and I cherish my priestly vocation. And in cherishing my priesthood, I cherish the priesthood as such. And yeah. uh, so for the brothers... Uh, I want to do my best as the sort of the eldest brother in the priesthood, not chronologically, mm. but by right. by uh, consecration. I want to help them flourish in the priesthood. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I, I think of being a priest as a little bit like being a... a so I compare it sometimes to being an automobile. Yeah. You, get a, you get the new automobile... And there are no dents, and it, it just all seems great. Oh, yeah. And over time, there are yeah. dents, there are spills, yeah. there's stain. Oh. That's the way life is. Yep. And uh, I would hope that in serving my brothers, I've been able to help them uh, maintain the joy of their priestly youth, the mm. enthusiasm, the idealism they had. Right. Uh, that to me has uh, is a it was one of the great privileges of my life. It's a responsibility that I take very seriously, 
When I was the Bishop of Oakland, uh, uh -huh. I had that same responsibility. But I know a little bit more of the fine grain of yeah. the lives of uh, my brothers here in Detroit. Uh, I, I, know the, I know the background of their home parishes. I have a right. sense of uh, hmm. who influenced them and how that influence paid out. Hmm. And uh, the other thing I'm aware of is uh, most every day when I offer the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, I look in a little book we priests have called the Ordo, which... Uh -huh. uh, gives us the detail for each daily celebration. And on the left side of the page is a necrology, a list of the priests who died in the all the dioceses of, of Michigan. And uh, as I go through that list, uh, looking at especially the names of the, uh, the Detroit priests, I am uh, very much aware of so many of them, their histories, the their struggles, uh, some of the wounds they they bore in the ministry, and yeah. I particularly pray for them. So, um, my sense of uh, fraternity, uh, yeah. brotherhood, uh, really does also extend to those who have gone before. Are there people that um, are in our diocese? I'm assuming the answer is yes. That were either ordained your year or year before you or year after you that are still priests active in our diocese. So, really, peers that you went through ordination with. Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, yeah. Guys, uh, some of whose nicknames I know, and I'm very careful not to use <laughs> yes. them in public. <laughs> uh, oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's awesome. And, and memories we, we share. Right. Uh, mm. What it was like to uh, be uh, in Father Scheuermann's Latin class uh, uh. in uh, ninth grade, or what it was like to... Uh, uh, be uh, under the tutelage of uh, Father Scherzer as the uh, head of formation when we were in the college seminary. Yeah. Mm. I like your analogy as well, Archbishop, of the, the car. It's very Detroit of you to have that as an analogy. <laughs> that the car is getting <laughs> right. up. That's good, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's so true. You know, time time takes its toll on things. Right. And, you know, and, and it's, it's a hard thing, like you said, to try to lead people so that they keep kind of being refreshed back to their original fervor and and excitement. And I know, you know, a piece that I know too is, is one thing that you've really focused on in your own uh, episcopate it has been the, the coworkers, uh, specifically the laity that you've really kind of tried to bring to the forefront. And, and you always refer to them as your coworkers in ministry, relying on them. Um, is there anything specific, a message you have for them? Is there something you'd like to say about the, the time you spent uh, working alongside those coworkers, the laity that you've been um, working with? Let me step back a little bit and talk about my own sense regarding uh, the laity. And it has to do very much with my experience as a seminary uh, professor and a, a seminary rector, where I really lived out very much a, 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 an experience of uh, collegiality, of colleagues who uh, each of whom brought his or her particular competence to a common endeavor. Some of that is uh, about the faculty, some of it uh, about the board of trustees. And uh, I think that has uh, developed over my, my years of ministry. Uh, what would I say? I appreciate very much the competencies that people bring to the, uh, 
the work of evangelization that we're all engaged in, that we all share in, we have mm -hmm. in common. And uh, I look at those competencies as gifts. Some of them are natural competencies. Others are, are charisms, uh, particular spiritual gifts. And uh, God has, both by nature and by grace, uh, bestowed all of these gifts uh, for the sake of advancing his project, his kingdom. Uh, kind of to, uh, and, and so uh, I think it's my responsibility to try and help uh, to, to uh, coordinate all of them and provide, bring them together so they mutually, uh, so that they mutually uh, advance one another. And so I'm just I'm very grateful, and very often the, the, these gifts are put at the disposal of the kingdom of God uh, without a, a, a proper material, a, a commensurate material remuneration. And I'm very grateful for the generosity with which people serve, the lay faithful serve the kingdom. We talked a little bit about the, the Synod. Um, your pastoral letter, Unleash the Gospel, has become a foundational blueprint for the Archdiocesan uh, missionary conversion. And I would say even wider outside of our archdiocese. I know people in other dioceses that reference this document in terms of the work that they're doing. Um, where are we when you look at that document along the path of conversion? Are you pleased with how the local church has embraced this call? What are your feelings about that? That document was such a significant point in our work together. Well, Mary, your phrase, where are we? <laughs> We're all over the map. Uh, <laughs> yes. right. uh, so much is going to depend on the community we're talking about or the individuals we're talking about. I think, uh, and, and actually, for some of us, we're, we, we each of us is on different points of, on the map, on the trajectory depending on the matter that we're thinking about and praying about, or uh, depending on the day we're having. Uh, but I think, by and large, we are well along uh, on the path to this missionary conversion. Mm. But always mindful that uh, the process of conversion is never done. Right. Uh, one of the axioms for the preparatory commission regarding the synod was uh, the basic uh, duo uh, of the scripture, our Lord's injunction, repent and believe in the gospel. And uh, repentance is never one and done. We're always called to start anew on our path of conversion. So that means then we can start anew on our uh, believing and sharing the gospel. But I think I think we have made great strides in changing uh, the culture of uh, our local church, changing our own hearts to uh, substitute mission uh, for, for maintenance. You know, that, that kind of leads well into the next question I wanted to ask Archbishop, which I know earlier I kind of asked about some of the highlights, some of the, the blessings, the real uh, high points you feel have been great parts of your ministry. What about some of the challenges, though? I know there's obviously been difficulties. I mean, is there anything you specifically see as unfinished business in Detroit right now before you go? I know, like you said, the timetable, it's so difficult probably to, to depart knowing that certain things won't be finished, certain things are half done, or 
half-baked, if you would, but there's nothing you can really do about that, you know? So uh, is there anything you would have done differently, or is there anything? I know, I know it's a bit, a bit of a tough Well, Mary, your phrase, um, where are yeah. we? We're all over the map. Uh, uh, so much is going to depend on the community we're talking about or the individuals we're talking about. I think, uh, and, and actually, for some of us, we're, we, we individ each of us is on different points of, on the map, on the trajectory, depending on the matter that we're thinking about and praying about, or uh, depending on the day we're having. Uh, but I think, by and large, we are well along uh, on the path to this missionary conversion. But always mindful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that uh, the process of conversion is never done. Uh, one of the axioms for the preparatory commission regarding the synod was uh, the basic uh, duo uh, of the scripture, our Lord's injunction, repent and believe mm. in the gospel. And uh, repentance is never one and done. We're always called to start anew on our path of conversion so that means then we can start anew on our uh, believing and sharing the gospel. But I think, I think we have made great strides in changing uh, the culture of uh, our local church, changing our own hearts to uh, substitute mission uh, for, for maintenance. But it's supposed to take us to a place where we can be more effective in, in, uh, on the mission. Yeah, it's a lot of good work that we've been involved in, but always more work to do and to be able to address it. So it's good things to keep in mind, uh, the things that we get to still work on. Um, with your birthday fast approaching, I'm curious, do you have any plans to celebrate? How do you typically celebrate birthdays? This one's a big one. Are you doing something super fun? What's your plan? Well, I'm getting together with my family on my birthday, my brothers, my sister, their spouses and children. And okay. so I'm looking forward to that. And then there, there's a diocesan celebration that I try not to pay a lot of attention to, but I'll, I'll show up. <laughs> oh, that's nice of you. That's nice of you. <laughs> that's awesome. Very good. That's really funny. Archbishop, I know we kind of made reference to this a little bit too, but obviously you have to submit your resignation. I know sometimes it's taken right away. Sometimes it might take years. Uh, I, I don't know if you have a sense of that. You, you, you kind of mentioned earlier that the timeline is very much not clear. With a unique position like that, um, you know, obviously most people kind of choose when to decide to retire, talking to their spouses, or they kind of have a specific date like, hey, I'm going to end by Christmas of this year or something like that, you know. Um, without that specific thing, how, how are you doing with that? You know, is it is it hard to kind of remain focused? Is it, is it um, you know, I'm obviously you're making plans that are months and months out, not knowing whether you'll be at that specific event or not. How, how are you doing with, with all of that? As I said earlier, Mike, I'm trying to... Uh, leave myself totally in the hands of God's providence. He'll decide when the right hour is for the Holy Father to appoint the next archbishop, to accept my resignation and appoint the next archbishop. And uh, my, uh, besides that personal abandonment, I'm trying to be very much aware of not kicking the can down the road mm -hmm. and uh, dealing with every significant matter that comes in front of me that is appropriate for me to uh, to determine and to take up. So yeah. that's my best effort. 
And how, well, this is a really practical question, but how do you find out that the Holy Father has accepted your resignation? And then what is the timeline for when you'll let the people in the archdiocese know? I'm not sure about that, Mary, how I okay. find out. I th okay. Typically what would happen is that I would receive a telephone call from uh, the Holy Father's nuncio in Washington, D.C. to let okay. me know about it. But okay. I, I'm not sure about that. I think that's sure. how that happens. Okay. And how would I inform the faithful? Well, uh, once the Holy Father makes a decision like that, uh, then his co-workers set up a timetable by which to make the, uh, the news public. And uh, it's really uh, up to, it, I, I, I live out whatever that determination is because it's not really huh. my news to share. It, it's the Holy Father's news and right. I have to uh, be whatever is an appropriate agent to let people know what he's determined. Uh -huh. I'll say it's, it's a, I just want to make sure to name this, that working in the church, and I've worked in this institution for uh, over 20 years in different ways in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Since you were a child. Since I was, I mean, yeah. I really, it was, it's it's crazy how long, it's been my whole life, right, being in the Archdiocese of Detroit, and there's always complicated relationships when you work in ministry, and then looking at our leadership, and I, I always think of the 12 apostles, right, and their strengths but also their moments of struggle and and it can be so uncertain when you're working for truly working for um, someone in leadership and as an archbishop i just am so thankful for the way that you have responded to the spirit in our diocese like it's been so exciting to work in this diocese underneath you with something like the Senate, with a document like Unleash the Gospel that really we can pull from when we're doing different, you know, meetings with the young church or whether we're working with our coworkers at school, we get to actually take um, some of your thoughts and some of your guidance and use it. And I'm just, I just want to say, Archbishop Ingron, I am so thankful for your leadership. And I know I'm not speaking alone when I say that, the work that you've done. Um, as you get ready for this point of transition, I think it just needs to to be named because I'm excited about where the Lord and the Holy Spirit is going to move our diocese next but there's of course uncertainty with that and it makes me so grateful for who you've been in our archdiocese so uh, mm -hmm. thank you for the way that you have responded to the spirit because I know it's not easy to be in uh, levels of leadership and I can't imagine it and I'm so thankful for what you've been willing to do well Mary I'm deeply moved by what you have to say thank you I appreciate it uh, mm. I'm grateful uh, you, you and Mike and so many others, uh, lay leaders, lay, uh, lay ecclesial ministers, uh, my brother priests, the deacons, uh, we're all engaged in a great challenge today to uh, present the gospel to a, a culture that seems bored with it, unfortunately. Seem, says, oh, ho-hum, give us something new. Mm -hmm. And I'm very uh, grateful if, if, for whatever degree, I have been able to be encouraging and a, a catalyst in what I, by faith, I know, I cannot prove, but mm -hmm. by, by faith, I know God is doing something new, mm -hmm. uh, advancing the new creation. So thank you. The other thing I would say, Mary, is I hope you've got that speech ready for the last judgment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's and, really funny. Uh, and when <laughs> I'm in the docket, raise yeah. your hand. That's really funny. 
<laughs> Say no, it's been so good. Oh, no. But I, I mean it so sincerely, too. You I said earlier when we were talking, you, you know, yeah. not yeah. just blowing smoke. Like, it's it's just watching the picture of the church. It's a really hard time, yeah. I think, yeah. to lead really hard time. and to cater to your sphere of influence. And I think you've done such a prudent and good job with our archdiocese. So, yeah, mm. thanks. Well, it's been officially recorded, so I don't know if the Lord takes recorded uh, yeah. you know, statements <laughs> at uh, Last Judgment, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. There. Yeah. We'll, we'll play the tape. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Archbishop, as we just kind of close this episode and this topic, I just wanted to, to just kind of bring us back to uh, your original Episcopal motto, which uh, is the title of this podcast, With Eyes Fixed on Jesus. Uh, it's been obviously been, you chose that on purpose at, at the beginning uh, of your episcopate, and um, you chose it as your guiding principle for your ministry that you wanted to lead and that you wanted to do. And I, and I echo everything that Mary had, had said and everything, you know, is there, and given that is, as you look back, is there any way you would describe the relationship you've had with Jesus? How has that developed that your eyes fixed on Jesus throughout your episcopate? And um, yeah, what, what helped you keep those eyes fixed on him? I would say that over time, the Lord Jesus has become much more my rabbi, uh, my tutor. Uh, another part of the letter to the Hebrews is uh, the text, son though he was, he learned obedience from suffering. Uh, he, Jesus learned obedience from his abandonment to the Father. And that's what he tutors me in, is teaching me how to... Uh, imitate him in that. I've become very much aware of uh, that relationship I have with him. He's my mentor in uh, finding the Father's love and uh, in every situation and seeing that in every situation there's grace. If he could find grace in being uh, beaten up and uh, uh, spat upon held in contempt, and ultimately, uh, un so the worst injustice the world has ever seen, uh, executed as a criminal, uh, he can teach me how to find the grace in every moment, and how in every moment the kingdom of God is advancing, even though it doesn't look like it. Uh -huh. mm. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you, Archbishop. That's on my best day. <laughs> it's an awesome someday, day. Some days I come to him and I say, you know, this assignment is pretty hard. <laughs> how, about sure? how about dumbing it down a little bit yeah, for me? Yeah, I love that. Yes, yeah. very good. Uh, before we change uh, into our questions for the day, is there anything else you wanted to add on this topic as we've kind of looked at your time in the Archdiocese of Detroit and before? Mary, I suppose uh, simply to say that as I come to my birthday, this milestone, I am particularly grateful to God and ask him to bless all of the, uh, the people who have been blessings in, in my life, in, in my service here, uh, in, in, in my service here, as Archbishop certainly, but through all the years that I've been part of this local church. Amen. All right. Well, for our, our listener questions, what we've been doing the past couple months, which I enjoy, is taking questions from our Catholic school students throughout the Archdiocese of Detroit. And so uh, Dane is going to be our first question. And he asks us, why did God create us? 
He created us because he loves us, not because he needs us, that's very clear, but because his overflowing love has uh, uh, willed to give us uh, existence so that he can love us and he can uh, uh, receive our love in return, which he doesn't need, but he knows that by loving him in return, we will be happy and glorify him. Why did he create us? Because he loves us. Perfect. And I have a question from Daniel in 10th grade. I think you've answered this before from a different listener, but um, it says, uh, what would you do uh, or what would you want to do if you were not an archbishop or a priest? Well, as I mentioned earlier, when I was seven, I would have been a farmer. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm I did not, not sure know I've... that. I think that was a new fact for us today. So. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have been a very good farmer. Yeah. But uh, if I look back at my life, I, I probably would have been a teacher of some mm. sort, mm -hmm. maybe a lawyer. And if those things were to have uh, uh, gotten their wires crossed, I might have been a law professor. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's a good answer. All right, and our final question is from Gavin, who is in fifth grade. Gavin said, do you have any other family members serving in the church, in the AOD or elsewhere? Well, I grew up with uh, some of uh, my father and mother's cousins in religious life, uh, uh, four uh, religious women, in my, two in my mom's family, two in my dad's cousins. Also, my mother had two cousins who were priests and an uncle who's a priest. And right now, uh, I have a sister-in-law who's the associates, one of the associate superintendent of schools in the archdiocese. I met her actually recently. I was with Father Mario, and I got to meet her, and she's awesome. So, good things. Very good. Well, Archbishop, I know that we like to close uh, each episode uh, with a prayer and blessing from you. But before we do that, I want to ask if there's any specific prayer intentions that you have that we can be keeping in mind and, and praying for uh, you in this next month. Well, uh, since it is uh, Respect Life Month, let's particularly uh, pray for the uh, advancement of our Walkings with Moms in Need initiative, uh, mm -hmm. seeking to make every parish a place where uh, moms in need uh, particularly those who are experiencing a crisis pregnancy can come to find out where they can get the resources they need uh, in their time of trouble. So right. let, let's pray particularly for that intention in October. Great. You got it, Archbishop. Thanks again for, uh, for everything you shared today. I know it was kind of a little bit more focused on you rather than the theology or some, some aspect of some other aspect of uh, church teaching. So thank you for your openness and willingness to share. And it's been uh, a real blessing again. So would you mind closing us with a prayer and blessing, Archbishop? Happy to do it. Lord God, we give you praise and thanks. Thank you for this time when we have had to uh, do our best to glorify your name, your son, Jesus. Thank you for all those who have listened to this podcast and from it bring all the, uh, the good work that uh, you, you will for us. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop. You're most welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Beyond Sunday, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.